We are in the middle of a series in Romans, and in this series of Romans, we've been uh, focusing so far on justification. And up here, you have this kind of nice outline of Romans. We have justification, sanctification, proclamation, and transformation. And we've really been, we've been in justification so far, uh, and we're still there, but we're starting to kind of crest the hill, and we're looking towards sanctification. Uh, but this morning, what I would like to do uh, with us, we're going to be in Romans chapter 5, is talk about the joys that come from justification. I'm going to talk about the joys of justification, or the joys of what it means to be made right with God. It's really what justification is, is being made right with God. Uh, and, and there's a lot of joy in that. So turn with me uh, to Romans 5. We'll be reading the first five verses. Romans 5, verses 1 to 5. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Father, we pray uh, that as we spend uh, some time here in Romans that you would open our eyes and our hearts to what you have for us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We have peace with God. That is the first uh, thing that Paul sort of opens up as what we should take joy in. This idea that we have peace with God. Because we've been made right with God, we're no longer enemies with him. We're no longer at war with him, but we're allies with God. So the picture that's been painted for us in Romans so far has kind of been this one of uh, humans rebelling against God. It's been a, a picture of humans being at war with God, humans rebelling against God's good plan for them and for his earth. Since Adam sinned, really, evil has been ruling in the world. We don't have to look far to see this reality. We don't have to look far to see the evidences of evil kind of dominating our story, the human story. And because of our rebellion against God, we read in Romans chapter 1, if you can remember back that far, of verse 18, Paul said this, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. That's Romans 1. So now we've gotten to this point in Romans chapter 5, Paul's reached the point in his argument where he's, he can tell us, but because you've been right with God, you have peace. Because you've been made right with God, we stand in peace with God. So this is not the kind of peace of mind, right? There's a, few, a couple different kinds of peace. There's the peace of mind. Maybe you have peace of mind 
in a, a difficult situation. Maybe you have peace through uh, anxious times. This is not that kind of peace. This is the peace that happens when two parties are either at war or in some kind of conflict, and then they come to an agreement, and there's peace. But this peace is still even better than that. This is peace. This is reconciliation with God in which God has really invited us into friendship with him. So while we were once at war, now we've been invited into friendship with God. And it is a fulfillment of what prophets had been promising for a very long time. You know, since Genesis... Uh, the Old Testament is kind of this story of, of showing us how God plans to make peace with his people, how to reconcile with his people. Isaiah 54.10 says, For the mountains may depart from you, and my covenant of peace shall not be removed, says the Lord who has compassion on you. So we have peace with God. Peace with the creator of the universe is an awesome thing, and it's very comforting to know that an all-powerful God no longer has his wrath on us, but that we can have peace with this God. But another joy of of being justified, being right with God, is that we have access to God's grace. We have access to God's grace. Paul says, through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace which we stand. To be given access is kind of the idea of of being brought near or being introduced. So uh, in order to be able to make a trip to the White House, you you have to contact a congressman, you have to... uh, send in some ID, there's some back and forth, and finally you'll be scheduled for a time in which you can actually show up and take a tour. You don't actually get to meet anybody but a tour guide, but you get to walk through the White House. This is a similar idea. You have to be introduced. You have to be given that access. Paul tells us that through Jesus, we have been invited in. We've been given access to God's grace. And we receive that through faith in Jesus. I think another interesting note is this idea of access. It's, it's temple language. So in the Old Testament, the Jews worshipped God in the temple. And only certain people could get into the temple. And then there were, there were even different levels once you got there. And the most holy place in the temple was only accessed by the high priest. The common person did not have access to the most holy place in the temple. Paul's telling us that through Jesus, we have access into this kind of grace. So what kind of grace uh, is Paul talking about here? It's more than just this, it's more than the fact that our sins have been forgiven. This is more than that. When When we are introduced into this grace that we're standing in. It's a way of saying that we have been put in a position to have access, to have a relationship with Jesus. We've been put in a position 
to experience God's power and God's presence. That's the kind of access we have. That's the kind of thing we've been given access to, God's power and God's presence. This access into God's grace isn't kind of an imaginary way of describing a spiritual reality. I think sometimes we can get that idea that uh, the fact that we have a relationship with God, it's kind of like, it doesn't feel real all the time. When Jesus came to earth, God was coming down and giving humans the chance to have face-to-face interaction with him. So when Jesus was here, his disciples walked with Jesus. They talked with Jesus. They looked Jesus in the eyes. They had face-to-face connection with God. And it's interesting, in John chapter 16, when Jesus is getting ready to leave earth, he tells his disciples that it's better that I go away. If I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. Jesus is saying it's actually better if I go away because if I don't, the helper won't come, the Holy Spirit. It's like Jesus is saying you have close, intimate, face-to-face interaction with God now, but it's going to get even better through the Holy Spirit. It's like Jesus is saying this interaction, it's not, it's not going to go away. It's getting only better. I uh, had a interesting experience a number of years ago. I had read this book called Love Does uh, by Bob Goff. And I I hope I have never told this story here before. But anyway, uh, Bob Goff wrote this book called Love Does. And I think it might be a New York Times bestseller. But anyway, at the end of the book, Bob gives out his his phone number. And I was like, "There's, there's no way that this guy just gave out his phone number to like thousands of people who are reading his book, and like, there's no way. So I thought, well, I'll I'll call the number. I may as well try. I'll probably get a secretary or an answering service or some kind of, I don't know. It's not going to be Bob Goff. So the phone rings a couple of times, and uh, someone picks up and says, hello, this is Bob. I was like, oh, my goodness, this is Bob Goff. I know most of you might not know who Bob Goff is, but to me it was like, this is Bob Goff. He's like talking to me on the phone. And I, I couldn't think of anything to say uh, because he actually picked up the phone. And so I just hung up. Uh, I was so surprised that he was actually willing to have interaction with me. This is just over the phone. God has given us the opportunity to experience his power and his presence each and every day. So how do we, how do we do that? How do we experience God's power and presence in a practical way? I'm going to give you just three. There are probably more, but I'm going to give you three. The first one is prayer. Prayer. 
we see many examples of Jesus when he was on earth getting away to pray. He would just leave, leave his disciples, and he would go pray. Prayer is hard, it's not easy, but it is essential for us to experience God. An essential part of us experiencing God is through prayer. So I would encourage you to find ways to pray. It doesn't have to be sitting in a chair, hands folded, eyes closed. It doesn't have to be like that. If you enjoy nature, go into the woods and pray. Take walks and pray. Maybe you're an artist. Draw while you pray. Maybe you're a runner. Run while you pray. But find ways to pray. Take time to read Scripture. Big chunks, small chunks, whatever you can muster, take time to read your Bible. And I know some of you are saying, well, but I'm, I'm just not a reader. I can't read for more than five minutes before I fall asleep. I hear you. That's okay. We have lots of ways of accessing the Scriptures. There are excellent audio versions of the Bible. But find ways to get into Scripture. It's, it's one of the ways that God has revealed His Word to us is through Scripture. And it's one of the ways that we experience and access His power. One of the primary ways uh, that God's people have experienced God's power and His presence for thousands of years really is what we're doing right now, gathering together as believers. God's people have, have always gathered together in order to experience his power and his presence. Matthew 18, for where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. We're here reminding each other of what God has done for us. We're here worshiping through song, through prayer. We're encouraging each other. It's a very real, tangible way of experiencing God. Another kind of sub-point to this, I'm sneaking a, a fourth one in, is participating in what God's doing in the world. And you, you do that in many ways through what the church is doing. Not Farallon, but the church, the broader church, participating in what God's doing in the world. And you can do that in a lot of different ways. Teaching a kid's class, being a part of the usher team, being a part of the cafe team, teaching in ABFs, finding an organization in which you can serve the poor. There are a lot of different ways that you can participate in God's work and through that experience God's power in God's presence. I want to give uh, just a couple of real-life examples. Uh, I'm part of a team currently that goes to the Ohio Christian, the Ohio Children's, Ohio Christian Children's, whatever. The Worcester Christian Children's Home is how I used to know it. Um, CCHO. I, we go there once a month, and we spend a few hours uh, with kids that are there. Uh, and originally... I signed up to do it because I thought I believed in what they were doing. 
Uh, I thought it was important. And so I was like, yeah, this is cool. I'm going to do this. What I've learned as I've spent time there is I think that I'm probably more encouraged by going than I encourage anyone else around me. Because when I'm serving in that way, I'm seeing the ways that God is changing lives. I'm, I'm seeing God uh, make the world a better place through the work that's being done there. And there's any number of ways that you can plug in to building God's kingdom. When we do those things, we experience God's power, God's presence. So because we've been made right with God, we now experience the power and presence of God uh, in small ways, right? We see evidences of his grace. We see evidences of the world changing around us. We see people's lives being changed in small ways. Like if we're paying attention, we'll be seeing that. We see our lives changed in small ways. The more we experience God's grace, the more we stand in God's grace here and now, we begin to develop a taste for the future. We begin to develop a taste for the hope of God's glory coming in fullness. Paul says we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. We rejoice in hope of the glory of God. This word hope is not what we typically think of in terms of hope. Often when we think of hope, uh, we think of sort of being hopeful. You know, we hope that someday a Chick-fil-A would maybe come to Worcester. Uh, we, we maybe hope that our favorite team finally pulls things together uh, to have a good year. Not naming names. Uh, we hope for a lot of things that are just that. They're hopes with very little confidence. But Paul here tells us to rejoice in the hope that we have. Some versions say boast in the hope that we have. It's a little stronger. It's more like a conviction. We have conviction in the hope, the glory of God. It's, it's more like we hope for the sun to come up. Right? Have you ever been camping and you're laying in your tent and you're just like ready for nighttime to be over. You're hoping for the sun to come up. You know that, some, that the sun is coming up, but you're still hoping. You're not sure when it's coming up. Uh, your hope in the sun coming up is a sure thing. That's the way that we hope in the glory of God. So what does Paul mean by the glory of God? Like we've kind of already established, uh, we experience God's power and his presence in small ways here, right? There, there are subtle ways around us that we see these things happening. But to hope in the, in the glory of God is to know and to an, anticipate that we will experience all of these things in fullness. That we won't just experience subtle ways in which God 
is changing people and changing the world. We will see a world that has been completely changed and is completely and wholly experiencing God's presence and God's power. We will see a day when sin and darkness and suffering are eradicated. We will see a day, we hope for a day, when we will be perfect reflections of God's image. It's, have you ever been to Costco? Costco is a, sort of like a Sam's Club. It's this giant like store that sells giant quantities of everything. But at Costco, they have samples, food samples, all over the store. And you can just go up to a refrigerator and taste a, a chip dip. It's just a taste, but you get a taste of this chip dip, and you can look into the fridge and say, that's what this box will be like. This is just a taste of that whole box of food. That's what we're experiencing now, just a taste of God's glory. But we hope for a day when God's glory comes in fullness, when, when he is in charge of everything, when his power and presence is here. This is something certainly worth boasting about. This is something certainly worth rejoicing about, to know that God's glory is coming in fullness and we will get to experience it. But this hope only comes because we have been made right with God. And we do, we rejoice. It's, it's easy to rejoice when we see a sunset. It's easy to rejoice when we've just come off a, a God high, an experience in which we're like, wow, God was working. Like, it's easy to rejoice in those times. I know a team of people just came back from Africa. It's easy uh, and good to rejoice in the things that you've seen there. I'm sure you had awesome experiences. But what happens when suffering comes? What happens when it feels like our hope is dimmed by the suffering we see in the world? Well, I think Paul saw that one coming. He knew that our hope often would be dimmed by the suffering that we see in the world. We see it all around us. What about suffering? And I think it's right to question, what, what are we supposed to do with suffering? Well, this is what Paul says. Paul says that we rejoice in our sufferings. We not only rejoice in the hope of glory, but we rejoice in our sufferings. It's a tough pill to swallow, to rejoice in suffering. I think it's important to remember that God is not the author of suffering. He hates it, and so should we. It's a product of sin and darkness. But we can rejoice in our suffering because ultimately, God uses it to produce a greater hope in us. God uses suffering to ultimately produce hope. 
So, firstly, what Paul tells us is that suffering produces endurance or perseverance. Another way of saying this or thinking about this might be to say that suffering produces a sort of single-mindedness, a focus. It's, it's in the midst of our suffering that priorities begin to fall in line. We have to realign our priorities. Nothing else matters but this one thing uh, when in the midst of suffering. When we're suffering, we're forced to go to God in prayer oftentimes. If, if we're really looking to Jesus in our suffering, kind of the first place we run oftentimes is prayer. As we realign our priorities, we are far more willing and open to God changing us as people. And so then, this endurance, this perseverance, it produces a character within us. Oftentimes, if we, after we've come through difficult seasons, we've, we've also experienced some of the greatest depths of God's grace, of God's peace, of his sustaining power. And that gives us character. And all of this produces hope. When we have been tested and God proves to sustain us, and we have witnessed God's faithfulness, then we begin to have confidence in God. We begin to know and believe that God is going to do what he says he's going to do. We have this stronger, more fortified hope. When we've walked through suffering, when we've walked through difficult times, if we've looked to Jesus, it just builds a greater hope a greater strength within us. And I'm not, I'm not saying, I'm not suggesting that that's e easy. That can, that can take years to be able to face certain kinds of suffering and to come out on the other side with greater hope. But Paul says, because we've been made right with God, we can look to God even in suffering and we can rejoice. Maybe you've experienced suffering, I don't know, extreme suffering. You've probably faced some measure of it. Uh, and whether you're in the midst of it or whether you're through it, I'd encourage you to think about that just a little bit. What are you doing with your suffering? And I'd encourage you to take it to Jesus. So, in a sermon on uh, the joys of justification, I'll admit this is a, a bit of a downer ending. But, I do think that we can take joys in justification. We can take joy in being made right with God. Because being made right with God means that we have peace with God. Being made right with God means that we have access to grace. 
If only we'll be willing to stand in it. And being made right with God means that we have hope in God's glory. So if you have not, in a while, considered the joys of being made right with God, I challenge you to think through what Paul is saying here. Take time to consider these incredible realities. And take joy in them. Consider how you're experiencing God's power. Consider how you're experiencing God's presence in your own life. And find ways to open up yourself to more of those opportunities. Because I think if you do that, then you will see more and more clearly the hope that we have in God's coming glory. If you've never trusted in Jesus, if you've never been made right with God, and the idea of peace with God, access to grace, and hope, hope in your future, that sounds good. And I encourage you to, to look to Jesus. I encourage you to find someone around you that can explain these things in more detail. But these realities are made available to all of us if we're willing to look to Jesus. So I'd like to end uh, with a prayer from wor- with words from Romans chapter 15. So pray with me. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. May the God of peace be with you all. Amen.